episode 41, Adam Lawrence, author of the new book, The Wheel of Sustainability. Um, thanks for sharing your oopsie with us. <laughs> okay. Happy to do it. The first oopsie I think we've had in uh, My Favorite Mistake. <laughs> I'm Mark Rabin. This is My Favorite Mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Enter to win one of three free copies of Adam's book. Go to markraven.com slash mistake41. And now, on with the show. Well, hi, and welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Adam Lawrence. He is managing partner of his company, Process Improvement Partners. He has, uh, like me, a BS in industrial engineering. So we have that uh, and a lot in common professionally. His degree is from Virginia Tech. And Adam is author of the new book titled The Wheel of Sustainability, Engaging and Empowering Teams to Ensure Their Results Live On. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us uh, and being a guest today. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, sure thing. I'm happy that we can um, we can talk about uh, the book and, and your work and all sorts of things. But let's, let's jump right in. Um, Adam, what is your favorite mistake? Okay. Didn't have to think very hard about this one, Mark. It came about 22 years ago. So as you said, I'm an industrial engineer out of Virginia Tech, and I worked for a global ceiling tile company for many years. And early in that career, I used to go visit our manufacturing facilities and help team solve problems or improve the performance of their fabrication lines. In 1998, I went to Macon, Georgia. I was invited, at least I think I was, to Macon, Georgia, right? And I had spent time on the line maybe a month or so before that, identifying opportunities, meeting with the folks that worked on the line, and just basically spending two days to get to know where the issues were. And either I convinced management or my bosses convinced management to bring Adam back and spend a week doing what we called rapid improvement events. We didn't know the words Kaizen at the time. So basically, I was given a team of six operators and mechanics, a couple of supervisors and myself, and the goal was to just improve the performance and safety of the line. So... I had a bit of a process I used. I brought the team in. We had a meeting room. Everything was set up on a Monday morning. And the first thing I noticed was it was just myself and the team. Nobody from management, no kickoff, no process except for what I was going to do. So, of course, I was being stared at by these folks that essentially had never had the opportunity to make things better in their factory. Because in those days, that was management and engineering's issue. So I'm the guy. Who's this guy they just brought from corporate? We're going to fix our line. So, of course, they didn't really believe that was possible, but there was nobody telling us what we could or couldn't do. So we did a little bit of introduction, what started 
out at the line and started identifying things that we could improve. Well, these guys really got into it. And first day flew. We probably worked 10 to 12 hours and things were already getting better. I'd say about 4.30, 5.30, somewhere around then, it was time to stop. And nobody from management, including the guy that was the business unit manager of the operation, had come to see what we were doing. Yet, we were making changes, improving things, talking to people. People were really getting into it. Safety was getting better. We were shutting the line down, trialing all sorts of different things. And I thought, well, somebody must be interested, but it didn't seem like they were. So eventually the team went home and I said, well, maybe I can do something about this. So I walk over to the business unit manager's office. Let's just call him Carl for the sake of argument, because that's not his real name. This actually is in the book because it's just an example of something that it was such an oopsie that I learned from it. So I started to tell Carl, he happened to be in his office and he was, he looked up and waited and started to tell him what a great job his folks were doing. And I knew from my prior visits to Macon that the operators and mechanics really weren't well thought of. They were thought of more as, you know, lever pullers and button pushers and grabbers of material, but their creativity and their thought wasn't always highly respected. I said, well, I can do something about it. I just spent a day with these folks and they were, they were awesome. So I start to describe it to Carl and he's relatively interested, but you can tell he had other things that were more important to him. So I invited him. I said, hey, I know you didn't have an opportunity today, but how about tomorrow? Come on out to the line because your folks are doing such a great job and I know they'd really appreciate you being there with them and letting them know how much you appreciate them. So he said, well, you know, I've got, I'm tied up in all day meetings and, you know, if I can, I'll make some time for it. And, and, you know, he kind of waved me out of his office. So I walked away a little dejectedly <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, we were making progress. It was just day one. Let's see what happens day two. Let's see if I influenced his behavior at all. So day two, improvements happen faster and more furious, right? Because the team now believes they can do what they want to do and they're seeing improvements. And we were having fun and we were welding things in place so people couldn't move it and things that this one or that one had always wanted to do, they were now doing. And you know now they wanted to work for 12 hours because the more they could do, the less management could screw it up. And that was their words. And I was like, okay, whatever floats your boat, I'm good. And we started to get visitation, but from crew members and mechanics. So still nobody from management. So the day was very, very long. But about 4.30, I kind of stepped away to see if I could go find Carl. Because now we're on Tuesday. Nobody, not the plant manager, not an engineer, nobody's come to see us. And I just can't believe it. Well, I find out I go to Carl's office. Carl's gone for the day. So he had this all-day meeting, but apparently he left early to do something that was more important. It either was a high school baseball game or cut the lawn or something of higher priority. But whatever it was, 
all I know was I think it was hard to hide how upset and frustrated I was as I walked out, you know. So I said, all right, I could do better than this. I got to be able to do better than this. How about I don't wait until the end of the next day to try to get this guy to come out? So it seems like a good plan. You know, I'm in the hotel and I've, you know, I'm just getting them all excited about it. I'm going to get them to visit. Yeah, that's a great idea in your head. But when it happens, it doesn't really work out that way. So day three, you know, we're we're rolling and the team's just killing it. They're just, I mean, you can actually see more ceiling tiles come down the line per hour than they ever have had, they've ever seen. So that's pretty cool. So we finally take a break. It might have been 9.30 or 10 o'clock. All right, I'm ready. I'm going to go visit Carl again. Now I'm going to convince. Now I wasn't convincing before, but I'm going to convince him to come out now. Now, were you feeling upset at that point, or you're still like <laughs> optimistic? Like I'm, I'm eager, and I'm going to go and invite him. Well, let's say that youth probably gave me more optimism, <laughs> but there was probably there was pretty strong. I don't know if anger, frustration, let's be nice and call it frustrating. I just, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't right. Okay. So he's in his office. So that's the good news and maybe not so good news. So I go in the office and I'm telling him about how not only is the team doing great and making great strides, but we just had all these visits from the hourly crew in the the maintenance folks and how it brightened the team up every time somebody, they were just so proud of it and they were showing it off. And I said, but what, what surprised me was what we're doing is we're not getting visits from management and leadership and it would be great to get you to come out. And he, and he looks at me and he says, what are you really trying to tell me? And there's a moment where you go, okay, maybe it's time to back down, but that's not in my nature. So in the nicest way I could think of, I said something like, Carl, it would be fantastic if you would come out and see what we're doing and show the team your commitment to their effort. And that's when everything changed. So something like that. So that sounds like a positive statement, but I think yeah. I'll let I'll let you continue. I think I probably know <laughs> what may have triggered him here. So he was triggered, all right. And he said, Adam, if you're questioning my commitment, you can do it from corporate, all in capital letters, <laughs> right? So I'll have to tell you that I'm not exactly certain what I said next or what happened next. What I can say is, I wasn't fired. I did walk out with my tail between my legs. I tried to brighten up before I joined the team so that they, you know, why should they bear the brunt of that? And we continued working. Now, of course, I was bitter, <laughs> pretty dejected. Again, I'm a pretty energetic guy, but I'm sure it was fairly obvious that I'd been beaten down pretty good. And I tried not to complain to them. One of the fellas on the team was a supervisor. I might have said to him, and he probably gave me the look like, oh, that was a really bad idea. How are you still here kind of thing? But the week wore on. And by Friday, so we did this for the full week. There was no, I used to 
you know, I didn't really have a plan per se. I mean, we prioritized and we were doing the things that they wanted to do and it was making a difference. But I always wanted at the end of the week to kind of let them show off what they did. Okay, how was I going to do that? Well, I will tell you that I don't remember what the conversation was, but Friday afternoon, we actually had an audience and Carl was there. The plant manager was there and a few others were there. And the team was able to, you know, show off their work and they got some pretty nice, you know, recognition, thank yous and clapping and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I got invited back many times afterwards, but I will say that <laughs> Carl, at least at that week, never acknowledged that anything I said had any influence on it. In some ways, I'd like to think it had some influence on it, but I realized as my favorite mistake, that's not the way to influence management leadership to support their teams. There's got to be a better way. Yeah. So I guess the the mistake in a nutshell is it the, the the choice of words? I mean, to show your commitment, I mean, that could have been interpreted many different ways. In a way, you're acknowledging his commitment and you can come and 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 but but maybe what well, is is it like mean, this is getting no, let's get into the weeds for a minute. I mean, yeah, sure. um, if you had said something to the effect of, um, you know, a way of coming out and continuing to show your, I don't know, like what would, is there a way of saying that? Cause you were trying to be positive about it. I'm guessing, right? Like come out to... and recognize people and right. demonstrate your commitment. But um, yeah. So I mean, like, I'm not trying to, well, you know, you, you yeah, said it was a mistake and yeah, it was a mistake. So clearly how I said it could have been better. So I don't know about you, but I experience, you know, foot in mouth disease from time to time. But but really what it led me to in the in the broader sense is to create the process and the system to create that leadership commitment before the team is even developed. And that's and that's really what it taught me. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I was bitter about that for, for more than a day. Right. And I didn't develop my approach to leadership commitment immediately either. But, but that is the basis of the new book is how to, and what is the image of that and how do you actually engage in such a way so that you, so that you know, you have the commitment before you even take that first step. Yeah. And, and that seems like maybe the higher level lesson. So those questions of the words you used or the tone, or again, like this could have been, you caught Carl on a bad day. Might not have been, you know, your mistake, but I think the higher level point that you make is is something I had jotted down about, you know, that that upfront commitment. Um, right. So just recap a little bit. Our guest again is Adam Lawrence. The book that he mentioned, his new book, "The Wheel of Sustainability," is uh, the title there. And um, as 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 you called it, um, my favorite oopsie. I don't think we're going to rename the podcast. <laughs> Well, that was my mistake today, yeah. right? Yeah, no, no, no. It's just a, it's a fun way of, of putting it. But, you know, kind of stepping back and, and thinking a little bit when uh, to what you were saying up front, um, if you were invited kind of, you know, like with a question mark, um, you know, it, it's you know, it's fam famous expression, I guess, you know, um, I'm here from corporate <laughs> here. and I'm here to help. Yeah. 
Right, is right. there agreement around that? I mean, you know, I, I was never in a role where I was sent really from site to site, but being within a site, mm-hmm. I was often sent, right. like I'm sent from this improvement group, I'm here to help. And there's always that question of like, how broad is the invitation? Somebody invited you in, yeah. but does right. everybody feel like you were invited? How do you set that up up front is an important thing to think about. Yeah, and it's a great point. And I never really followed up. So over the years, Carl and I developed a pretty good working relationship. I never really went back to say, okay, you know, we joked about it a little bit. I said, remember the time you about fired me, you know, so we could do that. Because once you prove your value, people can sometimes overlook that you didn't use the right words. Okay. And and really, positionally, he was a couple levels above me. So, you know, there, it might've been a piece of that. Um, but I think the piece of all of this, again, there's got to be a level of credibility. And then you have to, in my mind, what I learned again, is create that image of what does that look like so that we can be aligned around that first. And then I know where you are and you know where I am, and and we both are agreed on what we're trying to accomplish. I do believe because I had moved from a different subsidiary, a different industry to that industry, I didn't have uh, credibility in that industry at that point. I was a guy that just loved to be on the factory floor working with the people and saw things in a different way um, that led to improvements. So once we got the first one under my belt. I think the second, third, and fourth one were a lot easier to do. Hey, we've got this other line and we've got this other group and we like what you did. And, you know, but first time you just think everybody knows you're going to be okay. Not necessarily. Sure. No, I mean, and and that speaks to the power of uh, relationships. Right. And, you know, coming in as an outside consultant, as, as you do now and as I do, um, there's a lot of relationship building Yes. That, that, that can and should be done up front um, so that we don't run the risk of miscommunications or misinterpretations or lack of trust that come just from not having established those relationships. How can we have the, how can we have those relationships in place for that first cycle instead of um, maybe you know uh, stumbling through something and in your case, being fortunate to have a second, third, you know, continued right. cycle to build that relationship. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that relationship building, especially if you're being brought in for something that's um, you know, relatively short term or there's there's pressure? How do we find that balance between getting the work done and, and building the relationships that help us help us get the work done? So it's a great question. So what I do now in my process is I try to have a stepwise approach to engaging with that client for the first time. So the first discussion is a call. We're, we're getting to know one another and I'm trying to understand the issues that they're dealing with. If that creates some form of alignment, I try to be myself regardless of what you know activity we're in because I feel like they should know what they're getting early so that no one's going to be disappointed, right? The second step is typically what I call the site visit or site assessment. It's usually about a day. And what I do is I'm walking Gemba with leadership. And we're talking about it from their eyes and 
from my eyes. What do, what do you really care about? And let's see what your people think about that. Within that visit, I actually take 30 minutes to 45 minutes to talk about this wheel of sustainability, this image again of what teams are going to be utilizing to sustain their results and how leaders participate in that. Now, if they engage in that discussion, we've got a good chance to move forward. If it's kind of just like another thing and not interesting to them and yeah, 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 I know all this, it's not likely to move forward. And it might be, believe it or not, sometimes because of me, because what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do is set up the team to have a winning experience. Right. We, we want the, you don't get that many opportunities unless you're in a company that does this with great frequency. But a lot of times I'm meeting with groups, potential clients that have never done this or have very low experience. So to create that image, what it looks like, and even an image of what a Kaizen can actually accomplish, you have to, they're almost taking a leap of faith. I've had people say, there's no way that can get done in three days. We'll tell that to 300 other teams that have done it, that in my experience, I mean, it just, but if they've never seen it, and if I can't portray the image of it in a way that they feel comfortable with, then that's on me. But at least I can give them that image so that they can see. So those eight spokes in that one hub, you know, they sit through a little description, discussion of it. And hopefully if they're asking questions, I go, okay, there's a shot at this. We've got a, a good chance at alignment and we can do we can do right by the team. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing, you know, your story and your reflections and your lessons learned. I think there's a lot of food for thought for others who um, do similar work. And um, we're going to talk a little bit before we wrap up about the book, The Wheel of Sustainability. Um, I do want to mention to listeners and viewers, um, I did a, a longer interview with Adam in uh, April uh, 2020 where uh, we, we talk uh, in, in much more detail about this wheel of sustainability concept. Um, you, you can find more about that by going to leanblog.org slash 362, or you can search Lean Blog Interviews, um, Adam Lawrence, if you, if you search an Apple podcast or your uh, podcast player app of choice, um, you can find that discussion if you want to learn uh, more about that. So the book is a new development between when we released that discussion in um, April and um, and now. So um, what, what's your elevator pitch summary of, of the book? Who is it for? Um, what will people get out of the book? What, what, what type of reader you know, should definitely go and pick this up? Right. Well, great. Great question, Mark. So the book is written for those folks that want to engage and empower their people to sustain the results or the uh, the solutions to the problems they're trying to solve. So if you think about it, a lot of effort is done solving complex business problems. But if we aren't thinking about what's going to make those results live on, we're going we're gonna to go up against those same problems over and over again. That's frustrating. Business is investing. People are investing their time. So the wheel of sustainability is my image of the system that helps give that team the best chance to sustain those results. So it's not just a manufacturing book. It's not just a business book. We actually, I actually, uh, working with my wife a little bit, came up with some home-related uses of it. You say, let's just test this out. This is our experiment. So, you know, I've been told to get out of the kitchen because that's my wife's toolbox. So things like that say, this is applicable 
to how you sustain results that you try so hard to achieve. We put so much energy into it. It just seems like there isn't enough material on sustainability as there should be. So I thought this is an area that's a passion of mine. Um, so I think if, if you're interested, if the listeners are interested in another way to think about sustaining results, this is a, this is, this is that. There's not a lot new here, except maybe the image and the structure and just maybe some of my thoughts on some of the terms. So you've got that wheel and it's got a hub and it has spokes. And is the implication of that model, I don't know the dynamics of, let's say, a bicycle wheel. Right. How many spokes can be missing and, and still have <laughs> right. a functioning wheel? <laughs> okay. So another great question. I found that I wrote this statement now six times got down to three. So I was told two redundant, two redundant. So it has eight spokes. So you can remove a spoke and the wheel will still spin. It won't be as strong. If you leave the hub out, which is leadership commitment, the wheel falls apart completely. So leadership commitment applies to all of those spokes and then just the whole system as it, as it is in total. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes that makes that makes good sense. Um, so again, the the wheel of sustainability um, it's available, and you can learn more about um, Adam's work um, through Process Improvement Partners. Adam, uh, first off, what's the website people can go and visit? Okay, so it's pi-partners.com. Uh, I also have a LinkedIn page, and there's a company LinkedIn page at Process Improvement Partners, and you know there's a lot of contact information for me as well because. As Mark knows, and hopefully some of my of your listeners know, I could talk about this stuff all day. So if anybody has further questions, absolutely love to share it with them. And you know, hopefully there's some interesting. There's about 40 stories similar to the one I just shared in the book, trying to illustrate examples of each of the of elements of the wheel, just because I thought it'd be more fun to kind of share. Here's what we did right. Here's what we didn't do so well. Sure. Sure. Um, and um, yeah, so the book, uh, you can find more information um, about it there. And it's also available through Amazon. Right. And um, that's available in, in what formats? Paperback and Kindle? Yep. It's paperback and Kindle. Okay. Well, I hope people will check that out again. So um, Adam Lawrence, um, author of The Wheel of Sustainability and the subtitle, I think a good summary of what we're trying to accomplish, Engaging and Empowering Teams to ensure the results live on. So we don't want short-term results that fade or disappear or backslide. That's what we're battling against, right? Right. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. It was great speaking with you again. Yeah, well, sure thing. Um, thanks for sharing your oopsie with us. <laughs> okay, happy to do it. The first oopsie I think we've had in uh, My Favorite Mistake. <laughs> thanks again. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.